0: You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information visit commongroundcma.org. Uh, this morning we're gonna, we have to look in the Bible. We don't have very much time. We got about 25 minutes here to, to roll through some stuff. So we're gonna roll through some stuff in the Bible. We've been marching through 1 Corinthians. Find a Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is gonna work out really, really, really well, I think, uh, with the Mexico trip and everything. So, um, think about a time in your life as you're finding this passage. Think about a time in your life where you made a big mistake. A big one. Just one. Just think just think about that moment in your life where you made a big mistake. Okay, you got it? I'm not going to ask you to share it because that's just going to take way too long. But think about that big mistake. What did you learn through that big mistake? What did you learn through that big mistake? Don't do that again. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, big mistakes, big failures... This is the human experience. This is how we learn. This is how we learn to be wise. This is how we learn to have wisdom. This is how we learn things like um, failure. Is how we learn things like uh, tomatoes are fruit, but they do not belong in a fruit salad. We, we learn things like that by failing. Failing is... Um, And putting yourself in situations where you're going to risk and you're going to fail. These are things that will make you better. Unfortunately, our society has given you the lie, all of us the lie, that failure is to be avoided at all costs and only do the things that you are good at. That is a bunch of hogwash and it is not even close to what Jesus is going to tell you to do and call you to do in faith. Today, I want you to think about failure. We have a I have a thing that I tell my kids, we tell people all the time, and this is kind of a mantra for me, is fail big, fail often, and always, always, always fail forward. Fail big, fail often, and always, always, always fail forward. Don't dick around at your failures. Don't mess around at failures. Fail big. If you're gonna fail, screw it up really, really bad. And do it all the time. But always do it forward so that you're learning and getting better and getting stronger and and learning from things. Because like I said, this is the human experience. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is the things that you can use, the, the tools you can use to fail. But the failure is what drives wisdom down into a person's heart. And this is one of the things I love the most about the Bible is that it unashamedly looks at the human condition, the human project, the human, uh, the human storyline. It unashamedly looks at humans and says, you guys are mighty, gigantic, huge failures. All of us are. And it is not. it does not pull any punches when it comes to the way that humanity fails over and over and over again. And I think there's something so powerful in that. If you read this book from the beginning to the end, you are going to see that God is faithful. God loves you. God comes after you. God chases after you. God brings you sometimes consequences and difficulty in order to train you. And guess what? You will always take that love and fail with it. And this is the beauty of God's grace to us. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to address this today. And he's going to address what is the purpose of the entirety of this book. Particularly the Old Testament, the stories of old. What is the purpose of the stories of old? Why are they there? Why is it that we share about the common the common experiences that we have, not just the common experiences with the Bible, but also the common experiences we have with each other? There is something really powerful in all of this. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to read a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit and uh, make a few applications and, uh, and pray and, and get on our way here extra acts Turned the wrong I failed already Look at that learning woohoo uh first corinthians chapter 10 says this for i do not want you to be ignorant of the fact brothers that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea they were all baptized in moses in the cloud and in the sea they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was christ Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. That's daunting. Verse 6. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, that people sat down and eat to eat and drink and got up and indulged in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down for us as warnings. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now in verses 1 through 11, there's this beautiful thing that's happening here. Paul is talking about, look at all the stories that you know. Look at all of the history that you know about your people. Look at all these people in verses 1 through 11. And he says, hey, the purpose of these stories is they serve as warnings to you. Learn from other people's mistakes and failures. Learn from them. Learn from your own failures and learn from the fact that your forefathers failed big. They failed often. Now you fail forward. He continues them, verses 12 through 13. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. See, and what happens here is in verses 1 through 11, he warns about the people in the past. And he says, hey, these guys, they serve as an example. Their life is an example. Well, here's the deal. Most of us think, yeah, that's good for them, but I'm pretty dang good. I think I'm kind of perfect. Paul's going, no, 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 no. You have to remember it's not just about them. These stories are examples because that is exactly what you will fall into. The same temptations, the same issues, the same the same things that wrapped them up, the same sin issues that wrapped them up and detracted them from following God Almighty, they are things that are common to all men, and they will come to you. They will come to you. And so he's talking about learning from the failures of others. kind of a universal warning. You are not as strong as you think you are. Pay attention to your own walk and to your own life. And then he continues, Therefore, so because of all of this, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now he goes back into this conversation from two weeks ago that Justin talked about, about idols and idol worship, and Nick highlighted as well. But walk away, flee, run, run from idols. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, and we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the demon's table. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Everything's permissible, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifices, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for the conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thanks- thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Now, what Paul rolls into here is he talks about the Old Testament. He says, hey, these guys, their stories have been written down for your benefit as a warning to you. Don't fall into the same temptations. And then he says, just so you know, these are temptations that are common to all mankind. All mankind. You need to be aware that you are not as strong as you think. And then he rolls around and says, but you also need to be concerned that not only are you not as strong as you think, but even when you think you're strong, you might cause somebody else to sin, cause somebody else to stumble, because your faith is going to rub up against the things of this world. And so there's a couple of observations I want to make here. One is, Paul talks about Israel about the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are the, are the ones who wrestle with God. And what you can see throughout the story, in fact, the reason they were named that, right? if you remember the story, is Jacob, uh, way back in the book of Genesis, Jacob goes to a place where he ends up wrestling with God all night long, wrestles with a, an angel of the Lord, a, a physical manifestation or representation of God Almighty, of Yahweh. And he's wrestling with him all night long, and says, I will not let you go until like, you give me a blessing. And finally, God touches him on the hip and injures him permanently and says, Your name shall be Israel, for you wrestled with God. And then we come to know these people as the people of Israel. The people of the ones who wrestle with God. And the rest of their storyline throughout the Old Testament is this story of them wrestling with God Almighty. Of trying to run away from him and being wrestled back to him and trying to run away from him and being wrestled back from him and trying to headlock him and put him into a place where he has to bless them and him just wrestling with them and saying, no, 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 you guys don't understand. And it's this, this dance, this balance, this, this wrestling that happens. And the people of Israel, once you wrestle with God, God himself says that this is why he chose them. In Deuteronomy 7, he says, I didn't choose you because you were bigger than all the rest of the nations. I chose you actually because you were small. And because I see your iron your, your iron neck, your stiff neckness, your pig-headedness, your, your stubbornness. I see it, and yet I love you. I love you because I love you, because I promise that I love you. And this is great hope, right? Because who here has wrestled with God before? Every single one of us. And God knows that. In fact, that's the reason why he came to you. He came to you and he said, hey, soul, you, I want you to wake up and I want you to come alive. Not because of how awesome you are. Not because of how big you are. In fact, I see all of your weaknesses. I see all of your wrestling. And I want you. I want you. We're going to wrestle this out. We're going to have a relationship by wrestling. So the Israel's is the ones who wrestle with God. But it doesn't just stop there. It also moves forward into the church. And the church tends to be the people who wrestle with the world. This is the great commission. This is the great commandment to go into all nations and to bring the gospel to all nations. And what happens is the gospel, your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ runs into places where it is not known and it batters up against all of the worldviews that are in that place. And what happens is there in that friction. There's great temptation, great temptation to embrace the worldviews of the world around you and try to bring them into your faith. And we see this has happened throughout all of the centuries of Christian thinking. In fact, when we just got back from Mexico, what did you guys see along the roads, Mexico, Mexico trip people? Along the roads, everywhere, what did you see? What? Fruit loops? No, fruit loop donuts? No, that was in El Paso. When we first got back to El Paso, the first sign you see is a Carl's Jr.'s. Fruit loop donuts are back, y'all. Like, Obviously, let's take donuts and stick fruit loops on them. Yeah, well, what did you see on the side of the roads? Everywhere we were going, everywhere we drove in Mexico, what did you see on the side of the roads? Garbage. What? Garbage. Garbage. No, go ahead, Josh. Sticks that were not the same. Sticks that were not the. Okay, yeah, you guys are not giving me the right answer. You're not a participating group. This is great. You saw all these. You saw all these little like, little, altars. Did you not see them? Yeah. Of course, we weren't in it. whatever. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, you see all these little altars everywhere you drive around in Mexico. And they are altars of worship. They are altars of crying out to a saint who is taking care of that soul that died there on the other side. It's a it's a pagan practice called santeria that comes from Cuba Central America and has worked its way up into Mexico and it has appropriated Catholicism and Christian thinking into, with a whole room of saints, into some voodoo kind of witchcraft type stuff. And it turns in these altars all over the road that there's saints that are watching over the, the souls of dead loved ones. And this is the church. When the church brings the gospel in, it wrestles against things that It's very tempting to run to and make an idol out of. In this case, these are literal idols sitting on the side of the road. But in our case, there are things in our culture that the gospel rubs up against, and we want to try to appropriate them into our culture, into our Christian belief. And what Paul is saying here is, you need to watch out. In our Christian worldview, what we have done is we've taken the idols of pleasure, and money, and power, and influence, and politics... And we've seamlessly woven them into our Christian thinking as though that is what a Christian is, as a person who has a political agenda, seeks influence and power, has money, his pigs don't die, his wives don't die, his cancer doesn't happen, or whatever. We've appropriated that into our worldview, the God of pleasure. We've taken that taken that idol and we've woven him into our worldview and said, you know what, Jesus is about my pleasure. And as soon as he calls me to sacrifice something, that's where I pull back. See, the Christian church is the one that wrestles with the world. Not only do we wrestle with God just like Israel did, but we often wrestle with the world as well. And this happens in every culture, not just America. In African cultures, there's spiritism that weaves its way into the Christian thinking. In Asian cultures, there's um, productivity and power structures that weave its way into Christian thinking. We are the people who wrestle with the world. So it's as if Israel was wrestling vertically, and we wrestle horizontally, and we get to see all of this, and Paul is warning us, going, Watch out, you guys! As you wrestle with God, remember the way that people wrestled with God. Remember how much they walked away from Him. And now He's going, Paul's going, hey, as you see the way that other people have wrestled with the world, watch out the way you wrestle with the world. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the epitome of our relationship with God. If you think about what Jesus said when somebody asked Him, you know, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't wrestle with Him. Don't wrestle away from Him. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. Don't wrestle with this world trying to love yourself and use others. But love others. Love others as God has called you to and as you love yourself. So I think this passage, what it's kind of doing is it's commanding us to to do two things. One, to... To stay fiercely focused on God Almighty. Fiercely focused on God Almighty. Looking at our, our heart, looking at our, looking at God Almighty, reading the Word of God, seeing Him clearly, dwelling on Him in our refuge groups, talking about who He is and the beauty and the majesty and the power of Him. Truly trying to see Him clearly through the way that the Scripture reveals Him. But it's not just about looking at God Almighty, because it's also about, you know what, we need to fiercely love this world correctly. Fiercely and relentlessly love this world correctly. We need to go to people. We need to sit down and eat with them. Have conversations with them. Talk to them about issues. Ask for their forgiveness when we step on their toes sit down and have an actual cup of coffee and a conversation and ask them what they believe about the world around them. This is how we love the world, but the problem is, is because we've been inundated and we've woven in this God of comfort and this God of pleasure, it's awkward for us to have that conversation. Why? Because we're going to make someone uncomfortable and we might make them not enjoy their day so much. And so we sacrifice our ability to speak to people because we've been worshiping the God of pleasure and the God of comfort along with Jesus. And this is what Paul's talking about. No, focus on Jesus... Jesus tells us to go, to, He commands us to go to all nations, to make disciples of all nations starting with this one. And as we do that, we will see Him and we will see His glory and we will see His beauty. And so we need to get busy doing that, staying focused on the authority that Jesus has and going out to all nations and all peoples, telling them about who He is in word and in deed. And as we do that, it will make you royally uncomfortable. It will cause you to sacrifice friends and jobs and all that type of stuff. If you start sharing the gospel with people at your work, you may get fired. Just saying. You might. Or you might be called into into your boss's office for them to say, you know what, you really shouldn't talk about Jesus here. But why don't you at least try to force that? to push that situation. I would rather be called in and for somebody to say, hey, you know what? You've been uh, really making a ruckus around here telling people about Jesus and there's some lives being changed and I don't like it because it's costing me productivity. I would rather have that than to sit around and float around in this life with nobody ever noticing that I know Jesus Christ. With nobody ever taking notice of the faith that I actually have. We have to do that in word and in deed. I think, unfortunately, it's because we have we have given our lives to these other idols. We have appropriated this idol worship into our worship. We've worshipped the God of uh, I actually read these down. We've worshipped Dionysus, the God of entertainment. He used to have a name back in Paul's day of Dionysus. We call him Netflix now. <laughs> It's just got a different name. And the whole thing is to stay completely saturated with entertainment all the time. We call them iPhone. Or Android if you're awesome. Just kidding. Or we have worshipped the God Themis. God Themis. The God of political influence. We have this necessity of having to have a cause. Like that's what makes you a real Christian. But we don't do it relationally, we only do it on Facebook. I just, never mind. old people only use Facebook. We do it on all the other ones that I don't use. <laughs> or we've appropriated the worship of Mammon. That one's actually a biblical one. Have you ever heard that one? Man cannot worship both God and Mammon. That's a name of a God, a God of money. We feel the pressure, pressure to accumulate more and more and more and we actually pray to God more often for, our, for Him to supply our needs. In a culture where we've never starved in a single day. We're sitting there going to Mexico watching these people huddle in a corner because gunfire is all around them. Here's the deal, guys. Jesus is your King. That's what Paul's getting at. Jesus is your King. His ethic, His rule, His reign, His commands, His direction in your life. He is your King. If we say we believe that, we have to live like he is our king. And so when he commands you to get up and go, and it doesn't make any sense, you've got to go do it. When he commands you to bring, you know money down to the Hope Center or some donations and spend some time hanging out with people, it will make you royally uncomfortable. You better go do it. When he commands you to get up and share with your neighbor, or to pray with somebody at work. Do it at all costs because Jesus is your king. Jesus is your king. The way we see Jesus really matters. It affects our life. It changes who we are. And here's the beauty of it all, and this is the thing that is an uns- unspoken thing, but those of you guys who went to Mexico, I'll just address you one more time, then we gotta get up and we gotta do some singing. Those of you guys who went to Mexico, did you feel great about what you did by the time you were done? Or at least two days afterwards? Did, you, did it feel great to have gone? Was it good to go? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up? Jake's thumbs middle, right? Yeah. It was pretty good. Joey, did you want to go before you left? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking on him because Monday before, he was panicking. Sunday before, he, he was panicking. Three weeks, three weeks before, he was panicking, particularly because he didn't have a passport. And then it became the passport was not coming, and he was starting to think... I don't have to go. And then the Monday passport came. (laughs) And there was a little mild disappointment that your passport came, wasn't there? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, because now you had to go, right? But I tell you, as you follow Jesus Christ, things in your soul come up to the surface, and he scrapes them away, and he makes you look at and He goes, look at what we're getting out of you, man. This is great. And throws them away. It's a painful process. It costs you a lot. But at the end of it, you're looking at it going, I cannot believe how much I was taught. I cannot believe the person I am now versus the person I was 10 days ago. Incredibly powerful. When you follow Jesus, yes, it will cost you. There will be so many cool things that happen in the process. And I praise God that we get to do this together. So let's pray and let's sing. Jesus, thank you for being the one who has taken all of these has taken sin upon yourself. Has taken our lack of direction and drive upon yourself. The one who has taken all of the the weight of the world upon yourself. The one who has taken our lack of uh, doing, being able to accomplish and do anything upon yourself. And you have said in your word that you will pour your spirit out into us as we stay abiding in you, as we cling to the vine. You will give us your spirit. And as you give us your spirit, we can accomplish things, we can do things, we can see things, we can be changed by you. And so I pray for my friends here, all of us, included, including me, including my family, everybody, that as we go, as we move, as we take risks and have faith that we will see you and we will be changed by you. And we will look at ourselves, be able to look at ourselves and say, my goodness what a different person I am today than I was years ago. That we won't be satisfied with who we are right now, but we will look at ourselves and go, I need more of Jesus. I need to be changed more. I need to be deeper into Him. I need to see Him more. I need to see and feel His presence more. And I can only do that as I follow Him and obey Him. And Lord, I praise You for those who are here who are doing that those who are having conversations with people and praying for them and asking them about their lives and asking them if they can pray for them and and telling them about you and showing them their faith. Lord, there are many here who are doing that and I'm so encouraged by that. I pray that you will bless their work. And Lord, we pray for our friends in Mexico as they try to shine a light in an incredibly dark place. That you will empower them and equip them. That you will give them all the blessings of the fruit of the ministry that they desire so wholeheartedly. And that you'll show them their love, show them your love. And the fruits of their love. Lord, we do love you and we give you our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.